The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, good morning, church. Let me just say happy Father's Day to all you fathers. It's, uh, I'm so privileged to be a father, and now for almost 17 years, and um, it's a joy to be a father. And, um, you know, as we look into God's Word, we see a heavenly Father that loves us so much. And uh, during the time that I've been a father, God has taught me so much about how much I love my kids and how much he loves us as a heavenly Father. And you know, if I could say anything, I would say to you fathers, um, it's the small things that matter in life. It was BJ and I hopping in the truck when he was little and headed to the dump and dumping the trash and watching the trash compactor stay in there uh, a few extra minutes to watch the trash compactor squish the trash. It's the times with Caitlin of going to get Mentos on Sunday morning. So I would just say to you, it's the small things that matter in life. If you have your Bibles with me, turn with me to Psalms chapter 85, Psalm 85 this morning, and I would like to entitle the sermon, Our God is Able. Our God is able. You know, we live in an age of unprecedented power, unprecedented power. We have mighty engines that power race cars to go hundreds of miles per hour. We pull freight trains that are literally miles in length. We lift massive airplanes off the ground carrying hundreds of passengers with their cargo. And we hurdle tons of sophisticated scientific equipment into space. By attaching the power of an atom, we have created enough energy to light entire cities and enough weaponry to crush them many times over. Throughout human history, mankind has stood in awe before the mighty power of these natural elements. Light is so powerful it can blind us, as that light is blinding me right now. (laughs) Water is so powerful it can wash away whole civilizations. Wind is so powerful it it can topple brick and steel buildings. Fire is so powerful it can melt rock. We like to think that we know what power is. You see, in basketball, we have LeBron James, whether you like him or hate him. I don't hate him. I just personally want them to lose. (laughs) But we have in basketball, we have power forwards. In football, we say that the running back is, is is powerful. In baseball, we have power hitters. Again, we think 
power is something in which we are familiar with. At least we think that until we come to God. And then suddenly our minds are boggled. He claims to be all-powerful. And that defies our imagination of who this God is. We add the power of the world's greatest athletes, the power of the world's natural elements, to the incredible power man has developed through science and technology. And that does not even begin to approach the power of our God. In fact, He Himself is a source of all power. Not only in the physical realm, but also in the spiritual realm, where true nature and the extent of power eludes our understanding. God is omnipotent. This means that God God's possesses infinite, complete, and perfect power. Infinite, complete, and perfect power. He can do anything He wants to do. Absolutely anything our God wants to do, He can do. Our capabilities are limited. But our God is able to do as He wishes. We sometimes use the term of power to refer to God's authority or His right to do what He pleases. But truly, church, that is His sovereignty. Our God is sovereign. Power refers to His strength to act, His ability to perform. He is able to do anything He wants to do. Al Shaddai is God Almighty, the God who can do anything He wants to do. He can even rejuvenate dead wombs and give babies to couples in their 90s as He did with Abraham and Sarah. He is Almighty. He is all-powerful. And this morning, we're going to look at that. You see, we have a Heavenly Father which is holding everything together. We think sometimes we have control, but our Heavenly Father holds everything together. He's holding our world together. There's no presidential candidate that's going to solve the world's problems. But our God is holding our world together. Our God is holding our church together. And our God is holding your life together this morning. He wants to know you. He wants you to know Him as God. He's able to do anything. And when we lean on His promises, it increases our faith in whatever we are going through in life. We can lean on the Word of God and His promises. Our God is able. 
as we look at Psalm 85, I just want to give you a few background, uh, just a, a brief background about the psalm. First of all, we see that Psalms 85 is written by the sons of Korah. And over the last two or three weeks, I've never done a, a study on the sons of Korah. But the sons of Korah, in, in Numbers chapter 3, we see that God set aside the Levites out of the tribes of Israel for full-time service to Him. They were ordained to take care of the tabernacle and all its implements, as well as the Ark of the Covenant. We see in number 16 the story of Korah. And we see that he tried to rebel against Moses. And when he tried to rebel against Moses, the earth, there was a great earthquake. And the Bible says that Korah fell down and his people fell down into the earth. But yet, we see still here the sons of Korah which was like a group of people that came from the Levites that took care of the tabernacle. They wrote some beautiful psalms, such as Psalms 42 that says, As a deer pants for water. 43 says, Vindicate me, O Lord. You are my God that I take refuge in. 44 says, For not in my bow, but do I trust, nor can my sword save me. In 47, it says, clap your hands, all people, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalms 48, it says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Psalms 84, 8 through 11 talks about one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Psalms 87, the sons of Korah wrote that all my springs are in you. We see a group of people here who was longing to see not the hand of God, but the heart of God. Interpreters are generally of the opinion that this psalm was penned after the return of the Jews out of the captivity of Babylon. When they still remained under some tokens of God's displeasure. They pray, we're going to see they're praying for removal of God's displeasure here. And in in chapter Psalms 137, 1 through 9, it talks about by the waters of Babylon, they they sat down and they wept. There are public interests here near the psalmist's heart. To the great congregation, the church here was in deluge. The church here... Above were clouds, and below were waves. Everything seemed very dark and dismal. Almost like we might think right now, the way we see our world. Let's take a look together at Psalms 85. We'll read verses 1 through 13. It says, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered 
all their sin. Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God, the Lord, will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in the land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. This morning, church, I would like to give you four principles for us, the church, that we can learn from Psalm 85. The first principle is this, the remembrance of God's faithfulness. The remembrance of God's faithfulness. Now we see here in the, in the Psalm 85, verse 1 through 3, we see that the psalmist here is reminiscing about past times when God was faithful. You see, they were going through a dark time here. A very dark time. They didn't know what the future was going to hold. But here we see the psalmist is reminiscing about past times in their life where they saw that their God was faithful. And this morning, church, I would like to proclaim to you this morning that no matter what you're going through in your life, our God is faithful. You see, there's a reason this morning as we were talking about David and the giant Goliath. And Roland did a great job teaching Sunday school and he talked about how David had the strength to go up against Goliath because he understood that his God had been faithful in the past. And because his, faith, his God was faithful in the past, David had faith that his God would be faithful in the present. We see here, as the sons of course seen this hymn, seen this, this song, what could they be talking about? What could they be actually thinking about as they wrote this song? Well, I did a little bit of research in, in Chronicles chapter 20, and I have no clue what was on their mind. But we see in Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat, the Ammonites and the children of Moab came against Jehoshaphat to battle. We see that the Bible says Jehoshaphat feared and cried out to the Lord. He stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and called together the people to seek 
the help of the Lord, to seek the Lord. And the Bible says that all Judah stood before Jehovah with their little ones, with their little children, with their wives. And the Spirit of God came in the midst. The Spirit of God came in the midst, and, and the Lord said, the battle is not yours, for it is the Lord's. Do not fear nor be dismayed, but stand still. And then it says, the multitude fell down and worshipped the Lord, the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord with an exceeding loud voice. And they said, give thanks to the Lord, for His steadfast love endures forever. You see, there's no guarantee what the sons of Korah were thinking as they wrote this song. But I think this story here teaches us that today some of you are in fear because you have, you've just received bad news. And the Bible says here to lean on me. Do not fear nor be dismayed. You see, God has been faithful. God has been faithful yesterday. God is being faithful right now as we speak. And God is going to be faithful tomorrow. And as long as you're on this earth, He will be faithful. God's past faithfulness helps us to stand in faith now. He will be faithful to you. We see in verse number two that the favor of God is a springhead for all good. The fountain of happiness to nations as well as to individuals restore them to their liberty. You see, they were crying out. They knew God had been faithful in the past, and they knew in the present time that God would be faithful. When I was 16 years old, and and actually some of you may know this story, but I knew Amanda for a long time. We actually went to school together. Now, we were not, we did not arrange marriage in third grade, but we, we actually knew each other in third grade. And in high school, we became high, uh, high school sweethearts. And and I look back at God's faithfulness because we felt like we needed to get married right after high school. In less than a year after high school, we were hitched. We were married. Thank God she was mature. (laughs) But I, I look back at that, and I remember taking a job with the South Carolina Department of Corrections. And I remember at a young age, I knew God wanted me in some type of ministry somewhere. And I grew up a pastor's kid, and I I knew God had a call on my life for ministry. And so right after high school, there was a man by the name of J.L. Littlejohn that took me into prison for the very first time to a church service. And I think I went with J.L. into prison twice, and then God opened up a door for me to get a job in the Department of Corrections. And I was, a, I was an officer in a minimum security prison for seven years to the day. This is God's faithfulness. I went to work there on December 15th, 1997. And I left there seven years later on December 15th, 2004. 
I was amazed when I went down to Columbia for training. I would wake up every morning and I would say, Lord, why am I here? They have cows when you go to training down there by all the prisons. You wake up and you stay there on campus there. They have a training uh, campus down there in Columbia. And you wake up and there was cows all around me. And I remember looking at those cows. I'll never forget looking at the cows and saying, Lord, why do you have me here? Seven years later, I left there and God allowed me to meet a man by the name of Larry who had a prison ministry. And I began to go back into prisons. And the, the, the prison, the small prison in Spartanburg that I worked at, just to show you God's faithfulness, three weeks ago, I never pursued an opportunity in that prison again. And I, let, I told God, whatever you want, Lord, Three weeks ago, I received a phone call from a friend, and he said, buddy, we have a slot open once a month on Monday at the prison you worked at. Do you want it? You see, church, God is faithful. And sometimes we try to take things into our own hands, and we try to do it ourselves. But the key is, and I do it all the time, I try to fix things, but God wants us to let go and allow Him to be God, remembering His faithfulness, knowing that He has a plan for our life. We see also in verse 2 that due to their sin being covered, the wrath of God was satisfied. You see, this morning, if your sin is covered, the wrath of God is satisfied. We also see in verse 3 that when sin is set aside, God's anger ceases. When sin is set aside, God's anger ceases. You see, God's wrath is His love action against sin. God's wrath is His love action against sin. He has every right to bestow His wrath upon us this morning. That is what we deserve. But thank God He sent Jesus. You see, do you remember salvation? Do you remember how God took you as a sinner, lost, headed for hell, and His Holy Spirit came and convicted you of your sin? We must remember salvation. We must remember where God has brought us from. We must remember that He, that His faithfulness He's been faithful to our church. He's been faithful to our country. You see, the Hebrew word for faithful is, is prop or support. The Hebrew word for faithful is proper support. If I prop myself up on this this morning, that is a prop. It is a support. And that's who our God is. He is faithful. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. Verse 13, it says, If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. You see, church, this morning, even if you're here and you have no faith at all, you've lost all hope, you've lost all faith, the Bible says even when we have no faith at all, our God is still faithful. 
Not only do we see here in, in Psalm 85, we see that they were remembering God's faithfulness, but we also see that we must pray for restoration. If you look at verse 4 and 5, it says, Restore us again, O God, of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Now, we have whole channels that talk about, TV channels that talk about restoration. We have HGTV. We have the, the, the TV show called Graveyard Cart that talks about people going to, to junkyards and they're getting old cards and they fix them up to restore them. We have TVs. Uh, shows such as Restaurant Impossible where, where they go into restaurants and they, they're almost out of business. And the man goes in and he saves the day. We have the famous show called Fixer Upper to where they go in, Chip and Joanne Gaines, and they go into to a house that's been ruined, that, that people have shoved to the side, and they said this house is no good, but they go in and they fix it up and they renew the house to make it brand new again. You see, God is still in the restoration business. God is still a God that if we turn to Him in prayer, individually and corporately as a church, when we turn to Him in prayer, we see that God is still a God. He's still a Father that loves us, and He can still restore things and make them new again. He can restore families that are headed for divorce, and there seems like there's no hope. God can still restore. He can restore a church family that seems like it's over and hopeless. And He can still come in and restore. He can restore communities. And He can still restore our nation. The psalmist prays here in verse 4 for converting grace. He says, restore us, O God of our salvation. Turn us from iniquity, from sin, from immorality, from wickedness. Turn us from ourselves to You, Lord. Reveal to us our sin. Reveal to us our sin. You see, church, this morning God's calling us to call out to Him for restoration. To restore us. The Bible says in verse 5, will you be angry with us forever? If so, we are undone. You see, church, if God had been angry with us, if His angry had continued without sending Jesus Christ to this earth, we would be a people this morning that are undone. We would be a people this morning that would be, have no hope, have no peace. And we would be headed for hell. But thank God, God chose to send His Son, Jesus, so that you and I can have life and can have life abundantly. 
You know, hell is a place for unrepentant sinners. The verse says, would God be angry with us forever? No. We see, if you're in Jesus this morning, if you have a relationship with Jesus this morning, he's not angry with us. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's slow to anger and he's swift to show mercy. And thank God he was swift to show mercy by sending his son, Jesus Christ. God does love us, but he is just and does all things for his glory. As Romans 11.36 talks about, this morning, church, our God is able to restore. Not only is he able to restore, but we must pray for revival. The psalmist in verse 6 and 7 is praying here. They pray for the manifestation of God's will. Revival. Verse 7 says, show us that mercy. We are sinners and need you. What is revival? Now, I grew up a pastor's kid, and we had revival every fall, every spring and fall, every year. You know, and as, as a pastor's kid, I, I reaped the benefits of the revival because every evening my dad would be taking out the pastor to somewhere to eat. So I was able to reap the benefits. But what is Revival. You see, when we experience revival, it's not something that we have a week in the fall and a week in the spring, and there's nothing wrong with that. But revival is when people experience an inward change. Revival is when people live obedient lives. Revival, as Haggai uh, chapter 12, verse 15 states, people are zealous to do God's work. Revival is when people are generous in their giving, as we see in Acts number 11, disciples sent relief to Judah due to the famine in the land. In Isaiah chapter 12, 1 through 6, we see that people, when revival was taking place, they took delight in worshiping God. We see in Acts 13, 49, that the people, when revival takes place, they're joyful. I spoke to a young man this week, and he's made the statement, and, and I, I've been thinking about it, and I don't know that I necessarily agree somewhat. I do agree with it, and I've been thinking and pondering, do I agree with this statement? But he said the reason the United States has not experienced revival yet is because we're truly not under persecution. In other places around our world, man, they are being chased by ISIS. They're being threatened. They're having to have church underground. And this morning, church, I would proclaim to you that revival does not start in a church. Revival does not start with us calling a week service. Revival does not start with persecution, but revival starts with you and I drawing the circle around ourselves and say, Lord, I'm the one. It's not my brother or my sister, but it's me, Lord. I'm in need of a revival in my life. 
because I know who I am. I know that everything, no matter what the Bible tells me to do as a husband, I try to stray and go the other way not to do it. I know that everything I have within me about how to be a good father, the Bible tells me what to do, but I run from it and I stray from it. How to treat people, how to love people, the Bible tells me. But I resist it. And this morning, church, revival is not something we do, but revival is something that starts with me. We also see in verses 8 and 9 that the psalmist was listening. He was listening. In verse 8 and 9, it says, Let me hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people. To his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in the land. You see, the psalmist took time to hear. He will speak to peace to his people. Sometimes we pray, but few times. Do we take time to hear what the Lord would say back to us? He cautions his saints to do the duty which this calls for. But let them not turn back to folly. Help us, church, to stay focused on what Christ has called us to do as a church. And Christ has not called us as a church to sit on these chairs. But God has called us as a church to go, to go outside of these four walls and to minister the grace of Jesus Christ to a hurting world. Let us not fall back, turn again to folly. And then verse 9, the psalmist says, help is at hand, peace is coming. And that is the Prince of Peace as we see In verse number 10 through 13, it says, we have perfect harmony through righteousness. So not only, church, must we remember, not only must we pray for restoration, not only must we pray for revival, but we have perfect harmony through righteousness. This is a beautiful verse. Here we see it says, steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before Him and make His footsteps away. You see, here we see that God's graces, they meet, and they happily embrace. The graces of God here, they meet, and they happily embrace. You see, when there is no mercy and truth, all goes to ruin. We can turn on the news this afternoon and we see when there's no mercy and there's no truth, things are out of hand. But God's graces meet here. And God's mercy upon sinners with truth plus righteousness and peace have kissed each other. You see, Jesus 
came. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for your sin. To die for my sin. And this equals a great affair of our salvation so well planned, so well arranged arranged by a covenant that God may have mercy upon poor sinners and be at peace with them without any wrong to His truth and righteousness. Our God is a sovereign, just God. He should not have to look upon our wickedness and upon our sin But He chose to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth for you and for me. So that we can have life not only on this earth, but we can have life eternal. God is just. He's a justifier for all those who believe in Jesus. It's the greatest miracle that's ever took place. We also see that God's faithfulness is revealed to the faithful through Jesus. The Lord shall give that which is good. You see this morning, everything that's taking place in your life, because our God is faithful, is good. In verse number 13, we see a sure guidance in the good way. The supplicant is sure that God will lead them in fruitful righteousness and enable them to follow Him. You see, church, God has saved us this morning. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, today is the day of salvation for you. But church, if you're here this morning and you're saved, And God is in the sanctification process in your life to make you more and more like Him. And we don't have to worry. We don't have to be concerned about right now or the future because our God is able. You see, this morning, as we close... There is more to come. God is at work and He is able. You see, this morning you may be here and you're weary this morning. And God wants to give you rest. You may be here and you're in darkness. And God wants to give you light. You may be here this morning as a couple. And after the wedding... You have tasteless water. And God wants to turn that tasteless water into wine. You may be here this morning. You have, only have one loaf of bread and, and a couple of fish. And God wants to take that and utilize it and use you for His glory. You may be here this morning. You may have a heart of stone. But He wants to give you a heart of flesh. You see, you may be here this morning, your, your, your burden may be heavy, but my God says, my yoke is easy. Church, this morning, our God is able. We are hopeless. We are hopeless without Him. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. 
and in the power of his might. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 says, And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness for, from God that depends on faith that I may know. This morning, church, I want to know his righteousness. Will you bow your head with me this morning? Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we need you this morning. And Lord, we are hopeless without you. But we know, Father God, that you are a God that is able. You've worked miracles in our life think about salvation, how you saved us, the greatest miracle of all. Father, right now, I pray if there's one here that does not know you, Father God. Holy Spirit, make yourself known to them this morning. Father, for the church, I pray that we would understand that revival begins with me. Reveal our sin to us, those around us that are hurting. Have your way here this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we're going to take a time. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.